you're listening to Prairie Justice, a Greg Sanders Vigilante podcast. Here's a song I wrote in 1970 over in Japan. Worn to a frazzle, down in my bones. I've sung every song about being alone, oh honey, please be there when I get home. The tourists have all given up for the night, cows howl in the cold of my left and my right, and I must be some kind of fool to leave you By the throat, my old tarpaulin flaps like a pensioner's coat. Oh, honey, please be there when I get home. All my friends are on the pogie, I'm on the pills. Hooked on the white lines that cut through the hills, and I must be some kind of fool to leave you alone. You know. There's not many wise men you meet in this life. Old Bill at the lake here, he never took him away. Yes, I must have been some kind of fool to leave you all alone all summer long. This is Ranger Gord, and welcome back to Prairie Justice. And I mean, welcome back, because it has been a while. And I, I did throw a, uh, a brief thing out in July explaining uh, why it would be a while. And uh, you heard it all. It's uh, summer wages, moving. Uh, the whole ball of wax, and uh, I even in August, I even had issues with the internet getting a, oh, a g- good internet connection here in my new home in Pincher Creek, Alberta. But the good news is I'm now recording this from my new Panabode log home, as I said, in Pincher Creek, Alberta, right next to the creek. That's right, folks, a log cabin by a creek within view of the wonderful castle range of the Rocky Mountains of, of southwestern Alberta, Canada, that is. So, yes, I have found paradise. So, it's been a long, sweaty move uh, from my other home in Coldale, Alberta, which is only an hour and a quarter away, but uh, turns out I had a lot of stuff and a lot of trips and things that had to be moved, but... Uh, and uh, the best news is that I found that my other home, my older home, has sold. It was on, went on the market in August. And uh, by the time you hear this, uh, there is a sold sign on that property. And um, which means that we're going to be in good shape here. So, welcome to you from the New World Headquarters of Prairie Justice in Pincher Creek, Alberta. Once again, this is Ranger Gord. And we're going to keep carrying on where we left off way back when. 
Uh, we're going to be carrying on with our action comics, and in this case, action comics number 53 of the Return of the Rainbow Man. So, just listen to this, and we will carry on. Uh, not a lot of vigilante news that I can tell, uh, other than there is news that the Justice Society is, in fact, coming back to comics. Apparently, there is a new series coming in the fall. So I'm excited about that, and if that bodes well for their allies, the Seven Soldiers of Victory, and in particular of concern, uh, Mr. Saunders, well, I guess that remains to be seen. Um, as I recorded this, we are into about, uh, I've seen uh, episode four of season three of Stargirl Frenemies, and we haven't seen any, uh, even though we've got the... Uh, the return of Sylvester Pemberton. We haven't seen any other of the soldiers come back. So, on that show, we have already seen in live action Stripesy, uh, The Shining Knight, and now the Star Spangled Kid. Only uh, TV retro continuity is calling him Starman, but that's okay. They do what they do, they got their own universe. And of course, in season two, um, we did see a lot of glimpses in photos and things like that of the other soldiers. Green Arrow, Speedy, Crimson Avenger, and Vigilante. So hopefully, uh, if Stargirl gets a season four, um, we shall remain to be seen. Things aren't looking too good at the CW, and uh, DC in particular. So uh, I guess we'll be happy to get what we get with season three. And um, so far, it's actually turning out to be a good season. Um, there doesn't seem to be a lot of beginner's luck here with the, the new junior GSA, as it were. And, of course, we have the return of Dr. Charles McNider, and we'll see if any other old GSA members happen to come back. Anyway, um, have a listen to this promo. I don't know what it is because I haven't selected it yet. And when we come back, we'll get into Action Comics number 53. Where am I? In the Palace of Glittering Delights. Who are you? I am Andrew Leyland, and for over 200 episodes, I have covered everything genre-related, from the obvious things that everyone talks about, Star Trek, to deep dives into the early issues of The Amazing Spider-Man, via the obscure such as ITC's experimental science fiction dramas The Champions or Department S. It's very cosmopolitan, you never know who you meet next. In the Palace of Glittering Delights. Okay, let's get this show on the road, gang. Available from Two True Freaks and via your podcatcher of choice. Thanks, Andy, and now let's introduce our drama for Action 53. Uh, yes, like I say, we are in Action Comics 19, Action Comics 53, in, uh, uh, publication date is August 19th, 1942, and the cover date is September 1942, so we're well and constant to the World War II era. Uh, our writer, we are still into this ambiguity Morton Morton Jr. thing and uh, I think that's all I have to say about that other than it's some combination of Weisinger and Meskin who are providing a script uh, to what uh, proportion 
either is doing. I have no idea. But the penciler is indeed Mort Meskin, and we have a new anchor, George Russo's. If I haven't talked about him, George Russo's is a journeyman anchor, um, and sometimes artist, but mostly an anchor, uh, throughout the 1940s and into as far as I can see right into the uh, 1960s as well. Uh, he began on nothing less than Captain America comics, and and uh, we have seen him before in the case of the Bamboo Death in Vigilante, and he's also working in the Golden Age on Robot Man, Batman, Superman. We'll see him again in Vigilante from time to time, uh, Airwave, and through most of the DC Golden Age characters here and even Johnny Quick and Superboy. And as we get into the 1960s, he'll do an awful lot of work for Marvel. And I believe his last credit is, of all things, the Power Rangers in 1995. So just think, you know, I, my mother could have read this book in, in 1942, and my daughter would have read the Power Rangers, both inked by George, George Russo's. Our editor, once again, is the legendary Whitney Ellsworth, who continues to confound me by not uh, crediting his writers, or surreptitiously crediting the writer. And our cover artist, uh, doing a Superman profile of uh, good old soups, uh, challenging some Nazi flamethrower troops is by none other than Jack Burnley. And I'm sure most uh, Superman fans and fans of uh, particularly Starman, the Golden Age Starman, will know of Jack Burnley, pretty much a legend in amongst uh, early comic book artists. One of the more dynamic and less of the, uh, the scratchy one. Jack Burnley had, draws a superheroic figure that just basically leaps off the page. Now, for what is happening in the world, on the week of August 19, 1942, we have the U.S. Marines conducted the Makin Island Raid. The Second Moscow Conference ended. 1,700 Jews were massacred in the Polish village of Lamazi. Uh, the German argued group established bridgeheads across the Kuban River, and the U.S. Army Air Force made its first raid on occupied Europe, bombing the marshalling yards at Sotteville-le-Rouen. Uh, 900 Japanese troops landed on uh, Tavu Point in Guadalcanal and what is called the Tokyo Express. In Stalingrad, the Soviet forces withdrew southwest of Kretsiaia while the Germans renewed their offensive northeast of Kotenlekovo. Uh, <laughs> here's a funny one. As funny as this week's uh, Hitler Issues Directive Number 46, Instructions for Intensified Action Against Banditry in the East. Yeah, yeah, you stamped down on that crime, Adolf. And uh, I'm more worried about what Adolf was doing on the Western Front, particularly on the French beach of Dieppe, off uh, the northern coast of France on August 19th. A complete failure when the Allied forces uh, stormed the beach. And almost 60% of those 6,086 men who made it ashore were killed, wounded, or captured. And should I tell you that those men were all Canadians? 
Uh, so uh, it's uh, something that we remember in our Canadian history, even if we don't remember it completely in the World War II history. But it was the the first landing on uh, on Europe by the Allies, and it was a complete failure. So it was the, the dress rehearsal for D-Day to come. Uh, Mahatma Gandhi's son is arrested in New Delhi for publishing an article on Indian self-obedience. So we have the... Uh, the, the that situation happening even as the war is raging. Um, Chinese forces recaptured Guangdong and Shanghai from the Japanese. The U.S. 12th Air Force was established. In the movies, the comedy drama Talk of the Town, starring Cary Grant, Gene Arthur, and Ronald Coleman, was released. Oh, Jody, Jody, Jody. And finally, we have the Battle of the Tenro fought on Guadalcanal that resulted in an Allied victory. So that's what happened in the week of August 19th, 1942, as you were buying your action comics. Now, let's look to that comic itself and look to Clark Kent's column, Superman of the U.S. Army, where he's taking... Uh, little capsule biographies of people who have been in the news from the US military and we have no less than Yankee Doodle's air feats are amazing and that is Jimmy Doodle Brigadier General Jimmy Doodle of the US Army Air Force and this is uh, August but in April of 1942 most people know Doodle as the engineer and uh, leader of the Doodle raid which was the first bombing mission of Japan after so sort of the revenge uh, bombing after Pearl Harbor uh, when several B-17s took off from an aircraft carrier a few hundred miles off the coast of, uh, of Japan, uh, bombed a few nondescript targets in Tokyo, and uh, most landed in China. Some were killed, some were taken prisoner, and even one ended up into the Soviet Union as well, including Doolittle. So it was uh, considered one of the, the great uh, moral raids of the war uh, off of the U.S. Hornet. And otherwise it didn't do a lot of damage to Japan, but it did let Japan know that you can be touched. Uh, he was the high school boxing championship as a youth and planned a prize fighting career until his parents objected. Uh, he made one of the first blind flights and was awarded the Harmon Trophy in 1930 for experimental flights. And besides being a general, he was a doctor of science in aircraft engineering. He won the Schneider Speed Trophy in 1925, setting a new transconnal speed mark in 1931 and set the record uh, for land planes in 1932 at Cleveland, Ohio. So that's Clark Kent's Superman of the U.S. Army. That's a, just an interesting column that's, that is uh, running through Action Comics here in these early years of the war. By the way, if you're not up on your history but are up on your movies, Jimmy Doolittle is the character played by Alex Baldwin 
and a pretty good performance in what was otherwise a dismal movie in that uh, Pearl Harbor film that was made by Ben Affleck and uh, Kate Beckinsale back in 2001. Um, a Michael Bay boom boom crash bang which had a little bit of history but at least the uh, I think the Doolittle Raid parts were somewhat uh, though it was very erroneous portrayals were at least did sort of catch the spirit and the meaning of what the Doolittle Raids were all about. Elsewhere in this comic Vigilante's warm-up act Superman battles the man who put out the Sun who happens to be a very Spock-eared mad scientist by the name of Night Owl. And uh, this is a Jerry Siegel, Joe Schuster production. At least that's what's on the masthead. Now, the most notable thing that I see here in this story is the appearance of Superman's Mountain Retreat. Notice I didn't say Fortress of Solitude. We're not calling it that yet. In fact, uh, this retreat would appear in uh, Roy Thomas's All-Star Squadron run. He would use this period correct to the uh, Golden Age Superman uh, Fortress as a distinction, one of the many distinctions between the Earth-2 and Earth-1 Superman, Superman, Superman's And unlike in the Golden Age, I believe Roy went so far as to identify a general location for the uh, mountain retreat as being somewhere in upstate New York, I suppose the Catskills or, so, or some such place. Next, we're moving on to the Three Aces, and our avian adventurers are definitely in the military in the U.S. Army Air Corps at this point in time, and they're flying off of a carrier. Interesting that Army pilots would be flying off a naval carrier, but let's go with it. I've just talked about Jimmy Doolittle doing that very thing, so uh, why ruin an illusion? Uh, they are dogfighting with the Japanese equivalent of a PBY uh, float plane, and I say the Japanese equivalent because uh, the artist has clearly illustrated the the rising sun and Japanese flying a Catalina uh, PBY float plane, which of course was a U.S. Navy plane, not a Japanese plane. But uh, the artist at this time uh, would not have had in any enough contact or any reference or any way to reference. Um, what the Japanese were flying at any point in time. <laughs> the, the American military couldn't keep up, and that's a whole other story. So that the Japanese definitely did have their equivalents, but uh, for, for whatever reason, we'll just uh, call this a captured PBY, and the three aces do manage to uh, land and attack a base somewhere in the South Pacific at some point in time, and there's the usual... Oh, stilted and somewhat racialized uh, language that you would use uh, against the Japanese Empire, members of the Empire at this point in time, and we don't need to repeat those. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. So, we move on to one of the more many identities of uh, Tex Thompson, uh, superhero as Miss America, and now as he's overseas, he's called the Americamando. 
along with his uh, sidekick, Fat Man. And what are we calling this? This is the Adventures of America Mando and the Cinema Sab Saboteur. So apparently they're in Hollywood working on uh, movies at some point in time here. And probably looking us as far as uh, the propaganda films made by Capra and the Information uh, Department of the U.S. Military, which uh, did its job to keep the... Uh, America well propagandized and uh, into the war. And when I say propagandized, I just kind of sort of mean on the, I guess, guess the patriotic sort of an end of the thing. This, these days, of course, with the internet and sort of a thing, so we're usually against military operations as soon as they begin. And uh, in some ways, I think that speaks to our, our greater information. And some ways uh, we're propagandized uh, by even more sources, even more too. So, moving on to Congo Bill, who is uh, fighting the man who played King, basically a, a stateside big city racketeer who goes to the jungle and proclaims himself a world beater and even giving himself a crown and a throne. There was a lot of that going on in the 1940s. And finally, Zatara the Magician, father of Zatanna, uh, is, uh, sorry, scrolling here. Crooks Handle with Care is the title of his latest adventure in which he helps Archie Armbruster, the wealthy young blue blood who seeks his master's degree at Continuity Freaks, wait for it, Gotham College. Yes, that's right. Over here in Action Comics, we're not in Metropolis. We're at Gotham. So Zatera apparently works at a Gotham. Good to know. And there's the usual short features, which I'm not going to cover this time. And a few ads. And I like the inside cover ad. Has uh, a full-color quarterly uh, the six quarterlies that National Comics and All-American is putting out. We have uh, Batman, I believe that's number 13. Wonder Woman number one, the first issue of her eponymous title. All Flash uh, number six and Green Lantern number four of their eponymous titles. And that's why they're not in the Justice Society at this point. And I'm speaking of the JSA. All-Star Comics number three is on the stands for October and November, and it's the Shanghai Into Space storyline. Yeah, that, and uh, you folks that recollect All-Star Squadron or have been following A World on Fire with Billy D, uh, know that the Shanghai Into Space storyline was also recounted uh, around about the time that Crisis on Infinite Earths was going on. In 1985, in the pages of All-Star Squadron, and, uh, of course, Leading Comics, uh, number three, which uh, in which the Southern Soldiers battle Dr. Doomy, and, of course, which we have covered on this podcast. So, let's move on to the main reason we're here, the Vigilante feature in Action Comics, number 53, a 12-page story, the second feature in the, in the comic, and let's see what happens when when we have a blackout in blue.
The Vigilante by Mort Morton Jr. and George Russos. The Vigilante and Stuff punched their way through a mob of armed gangsters, approaching a conjurer who, from his cauldron, calls forth the images of the Rainbow Man. Put on your smoke glasses. Here comes the Rainbow Man, that many-hued master of misdeeds whose warped minds plot crimes in blinding flashes of dazzling color. Then hold tight to your seat as the rough-riding vigilante streaks upon the scene to prove once more that wits and weapons of the Old West are still in style. And an evil genius who starts out in a blaze of scarlet is apt to wind up singing... The Blackout Blues. Gloomy State Prison, where two guards discuss their most notorious prisoner. So, they're moving the Rainbow Man to Shark Tooth Island. Yeah, they caught him signaling pals on the outside and thinks he was planning another escape. The Rainbow Man, whose crimes in color have been planned with the care of an artist, faces a drab future. It's getting dark. How will you find your way back, Captain? Easy. The way is marked by Scarlet Light Boys. As darkness gathers... How ironic that I, who have lived for color, should be condemned to black and white stripes and gray walls. Cheer up, but watch the pretty lights go past. Look out! That boat ahead! Those idiots are gonna ram us! Idiots? They're my friends. Dictionary and Shakes. The Underworld Poet. They did it on purpose. Well, of course they did. This is what I signaled them to do. When you thought correctly that I was planning to escape. This is a profound pleasure, boss. Oppie dies are here again. We'll paint the town red, Rainbow Man. Are you going to leave us to drown like rats? Just follow the pretty lights, although I'm not sure where they'll take you, since my friends changed their course to make you miss Shark Tooth Island. And so, once again, the underworld's artist arch-criminal, the Rainbow Man, is free to wage a crime campaign in color. Rainbow Man, I should like to introduce you to our new compatriot. Meet Jellybean Jones. Have some nice red jelly beans, Mr. Rainbow Man? <sighs> you mean blue jelly beans? But I don't want any. Head for shore. Later, at an underworld retreat ashore. Clever of you to have us lure them past us by shifting the boys, boss. My escape by ways of the scarlet beams was one of my best. 
The fools never dreamed that I actually wanted to be caught signaling, so they sent me to the island. I have a palette of color crimes that will dazzle the country. And if the vigilante interferes again, his color will be black for mourning. The hue of our next color crime shall be... Ah, yellow. Gold, I already know it. A bank job it is, or I ain't a poet. Nothing so simple as a mere bank hold-up, Shakes. This is to be a masterpiece of strategy. Chinatown. Maze of quaint, mysterious streets. Where stuff, young pal of the vigilante, leads an adventurous life. Well, looky here. Extra, Rainbow Man lost at sea. Prison guards lost, too. The veg and me will miss him. Now I suppose all the sharks will be turning green. And now a strange vendor invades this sector. The candy salesman known as Jellybean Jones. Ooh, taffy. Lovely. Yellow taffy. Mmm, it's good. Looks like that fella's eaten up all his taffy before he can sell it. A moment later... And Stuff notices and recognizes another street vendor. Beautiful yellow daffodils. Ten cents a bunch in coin or bills. Wow, that's Shakespeare. I knew he was paroled, but I never thought I'd see him selling posies. But it's not just flowers that are smelling up the streets. Purchase a superb yellow saffron ochre necktie. Only a quarter. And now the dictionary. Something's cooking. The trio of salesmen converge on a ticket booth, where a sign exhibits that a convention of rare oriental idols benefits the Chinatown Relief Fund. Only 50 cents. Uh-oh, I get it. They're gonna knock off that ticket booth. Now no time to give the vigilante a buzz. Suddenly... He's a contribution Ow. chum. My fancy runs from flowers to guns. In the exhibition room... Who dares to frown shoot. will get mowed down. Taffy comes in handy for picking emeralds. Your knowledge of mineralogy is rudimentary to say the least, pal, Mr. Jones. That happens to be a ruby. Now don't forget, the yellow delivery truck in front is the getaway car. Don't tell me, Mr. Dictionary. Just lead the way. A Chinese-American bombshell interrupts the robber's retreat. Yellow posies? Yellow neckties, yellow taffy. Guess what color you guys remind me of? Eureka, the Chinatown kid. You're not canary-colored yourself, Sonny. No, I'm not yellow, but you are. Oi, cut it out. That's good taffy. Just and stuff is surprised when Shakespeare swings a Buddha statue. 
He's in idols or the bunk. But this baby's got you sunk. And as the stunned youth collects his senses, the bandits make their escape in a yellow truck. Uh, that idol must be worth millions. I saw diamonds when it hit me. Within the hour, in the apartment of Greg Saunders, famed on the radio as the Prairie Troubadour, then Shakes conked me, and he got away in a yellow truck. Get it? Fell as if it was a symphony in saffron, Greg. Just so. And these color combinations make me think of a particular varmint we've had trouble with before. Then you don't think the Rainbow Man got drowned? Well, I don't know, but there's a practice blackout tonight through downtown. And if the Rainbow Man died, he'll be there with colors. A motor roars, and through the night-filled streets of the city rides the crime hunter from the land of the Purple Sage, the Vigilante. Meanwhile, at the Rainbow Man's rendezvous... Very pretty. And they'll bring a tidy sum. But shouldn't you have brought more loose gems? If any of you is holding out... It ain't like that, boss. Only when the kid slugged Dictionary, he backed into me and spilled half the stones that I grabbed. Kid? It wasn't... Verily, it was indeed the Vigilante's youthful Chinese friend. But the Vig himself wasn't there. He'll be on our trail, nevertheless. But he'll find Rainbow Man more than a match for him this time. I have a new plan for disposing of him. This time, the Tsar of Color himself I'm leads his men and into blue action. When the kid punched me. Black and blue. Blue. A good omen for the color crime that I have planned for this evening. Downtown, where street lamps braze brightly one moment. Have you the geography of opposition firmly in mind? Thy can douse every light, and I still will be bright. And in the next instant... A wailing siren signals a blackout. Let us move quickly, gentlemen. Straight to the mark, we fly into the dark. Unseen in the blackout, <laughs> rushing figures crash into the jewelry store. Off with your coats, men, and shoot everyone who doesn't shine with a white light. Oh, hold up. Where's the alarm button? Abruptly, the criminal's clothing but gives off an eerie glow. Thieves! Murderers! Ah! Your execution is necessary, chum. Grab the sparklers, men. The crackle of shots echoes through the streets and reaches ears strained exa for exactly such sounds. There's our signal, stuff. Boots and saddles. The next second... There they are, Vig, shooting their way out of the store down the block. There seems to be a phosphorescent glow about them, 
and their car too. Mr. Rainbow Mint, the vigilante is after us. Good. He'll be able to follow by our glow until we get him where we want him. We're gonna crack up. Better jump, stuff. Okay, I jumped. How about landing? Truly a colorful flight. I feel with pride the knots I've tied. How's this? Make very sure the hemp's secure. Oh, pretty slick, Mr. Rainbow Man. In the dark, the bus was shiny, but when we got under the street lights, it looked like any other car. Yes, Jellybean. But the vigilante is going to shine a dull blue before he enters his final blackout. Tick, tock, tick, tock. Like strokes of doom, the rhythmic beat of a huge clock penetrates the stunned minds of the prisoners. As they awake, the vigilante and stuff are tied together, suspended over a burning hot cauldron of tar. As the clock tower above ticks off the precious minutes and seconds they have left to live. What? what? Where are they? Vidge, are you around? I think I'm hanging around here somewhere. A mocking laugh rings out. <laughs> The future's looking black for you, my fighting friends. I'll miss you! And the full cruelty of the ingenious Rainbow Man bursts upon them with the crushing impact of doom. Look down there, Vidge. Hot tar! And we're headed for it an inch at a time. At eleven o'clock, you'll be a pair of tar babies. And we'll be frolicking in greenery at a garden party. <laughs> Maybe I'll make it your going away party yet. Tick tock, tick tock. But suddenly the measured sound mingles with the noise of tearing cloth. Hey, what have you done? That sandbag beside us, that's the counterweight suspending us. I ripped the sandbag with my spurs. Blake's little poem about the sands of time gave me an idea. But that's only making us fall faster. The clock is speeding up. I know stuff, but it's making us swing like a pendulum, too. Swifter! Swifter, the turning shaft of the clock lowers the captives towards the bubbling death below, and wider, wider becomes their pendulum swing. If I can catch the edge of that cauldron with my spurs. The heat's getting me, Vince. If you don't make it on the next swing, I'm going to pass out. Will the vigilante and stuff save themselves in the scant seconds left them? Or will the Rainbow Man win over his arch foe in the end with the most tragic of all colors? Black? Not far from this life and death struggle, a small delivery truck is held up. That blinded green light! 
I can't see anything else. Then you'd better take my word that I have a lethal firearm and climb out of there in a hurry. Green uniformed men carry potted plants to the penthouse of Esmeralda Green, famous actress. We're from the nurseries with the decorating for Miss Green's after-theater party. Why are tradesmen always late? Hurry, the guests will start arriving well before midnight. Oh, lovely flowers, fresh and fragrant. How sweet you smell to me, a vagrant. I hesitate to say as much about your poetry. Shut up, fools. Now get this straight. Shine a pink spotlight on each guest as he or she comes through the door. But a green light on Miss Green. She'll be the one with the famous emeralds, eh, Mr. Rainbow Man? Listen, you dolt. Those emeralds are what we want. So everybody stay out of sight till the spotlight shows green. Then jump out with guns blazing. And I snatch the emeralds, huh? But who will hold my lollipop? Meanwhile, at the thug's hideout, a speeding pendulum beats out a life-and-death rhythm. We're dropping fast, bitch, and it looks like we're gonna be in the soup. There's only about one chance in twenty that we'll drop outside the rim. Well, that cauldron. Yay, yay, yay! If anyone asks what's cooking, it's me! Grit your teeth, fella. It'll only be a second. Are these ropes coming loose, or am I dreaming? You're wide awake, partner. And starting right now, we're going places. A wild dash through the streets and a radio mast serves as a ladder into a dark sky. Maybe you know what you're doing, but this looks like a dead-end street to me. Bullseyes, Vidge. But I'd feel safer if you'd build a bridge. In Esmeralda's Green's penthouse, the after-theater guests begin to arrive. Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. Winters. If you'll just pass through into the garden. And as the pink spotlight flashes... There's the pink spotlight. Here I go. Give me that emerald necklace. Huh? You, you ain't got none. Help, I'm going to faint. That fool jelly bean. That idiot. I said the green spotlight. Police, police. An unruly character is creating a disturbance in my garden party. Stupid. But boss, didn't I tell you I was colorblind? You've ruined everything. You've cost me emeralds worth half a million. Bah! Of what use is a colorblind stooge to the king of color? We've got to hurry out of here before the police arrive. Oh gosh, oh dear, the vidge is near. Yippee, I'm a buckaroo from Avenue U. First time I ever bulldogged a poet. Alas, the music choirs it brews. Ring around the rainbow. You think the rainbow man is a, to be taken at the end of a string? 
Rallying, the criminals seize a tank of poisonous Paris green, used for spraying plants. Since my robbery in green failed, why not a couple of murders in green? You'll be spraying yourselves with liniment when I get my hands on you. But their aim is spoiled as dazzling rays of light flash in their eyes. Hey, this bad light, the breath's shining it in my eyes. Nasturtiums for your cranium, big talker. A red, red rose and down he goes. Here's his last rainbow. And a bouquet to match it. And so, where one escaped from prison, three return. Incarceration will be a relief. In jail I'll happily abide, as long as the vidge remains outside. Bah! They can't keep a colorful character like me in a dark cell for long. As Esmeralda Green's party goes merrily on. Please stay for the party. My society friends will treat you royally. No thanks, Miss Green. I'm a lonesome cowboy, but not that lonesome. Me, I'm needed to keep an eye on Chinatown. The end of the Rainbow Man? We wonder. But we have a real bang-up surprise waiting for you in next month's Action Comics. Oh, Rainbow Man, you and your blacks and your pinks and greens and yellows. Did you kind of notice the little uh, tunes that I had going along as we were doing uh, following the Rainbow Man's crimes? Yeah, things that were kind of appropriate to his color choices. What I didn't use was the song that we're going to use here in Greg Saunders Ranch Radio here. Whoops, I think I meant to say Greg Saunders Radio Rodeo. I did actually use Joni Mitchell's Big Yellow Taxel, just because Joni Mitchell actually is a bit of a local hero, and a global hero, of course, in folk and rock circles, but uh, she was also born not too far away from where I live, in Fort McLeod, Alberta. So good on you, Joni. But for our peon to yellow, I'm going to pick a uh, another singer-songwriter that also came out of the same folk era that Joni came out of in the 1960s, and also produced uh, Ian Tyson, who I used at the beginning, and I've, I've used a lot here on the podcast over time. And uh, White Axton, you probably know him uh, in acting from uh, Gremlins. He's got a big jovial, jolly presence, and he's been in a lot of TV shows, an awful lot of motion pictures. And uh, started out as a, well, honestly came by his songwriting ability as his mother was Mae Axton, who co-wrote uh, Elvis Presley's initial 
uh, chart-topping hit Heartbreak Hotel. Uh, White himself was no slouch. He wrote the Greenback Dollar for the Kingston Trio in the 1960s, uh, Joy to the World for the Guess Who, and the No, 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 No song for ex-Beatle drummer Ringo Starr. Uh, which uh, talked a little bit about drugs, and drugs has been a bit of a theme in White's life, unfortunately. He battled his uh, his time with the uh, the demon weeds and uh, and all forms of of um, recreational drugs, but somewhere in the, along the way, he's just become a, a wonderful singer-songwriter, had a lot of albums through the 1970s. I think his pinnacle, uh, as far as my tastes, was the 1980 album Rusty Old Halo, which had an awful lot of hits that I'd like love to use uh, in future ranch radios. Um, also, you might remember that uh, White was on a television show at one time. He, uh, uh, WKRP in Cincinnati, did a very, very memorable guest shot as Lonnie Anderson's hometown boyfriend, who did a bit of a threatening uh, routine to Dr. Johnny Fever before the uh, show resolved itself. And as I said, he's been on a lot of other films. Uh, We knew him up here in Alberta doing Alberta Ford commercials, of all things, at some of our historic sites like the Terrell Museum in Drumheller and the Head Smashed In Buffalo Jump near Fort McLeod. Now, Hoyt's career also dovetailed with a lady by the name of Polly Bergen, who was the played a character by the name of Flo in a movie called Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore, which also netted uh, co-star Ellen Burstyn, or star Ellen Burstyn, an Oscar in 1974. That movie, of course, was spun out into the sitcom Alice which uh, documented uh, three working girl waitresses and Vic Tabak in Mel's Diner in Phoenix. It ran for several seasons. And Polly's uh, flow stood out quite a bit, so much that in 1980 she was given her own spin-off series called Flow, in which the character went back to her, uh, her Texas hometown and started a roadhouse. One of the co-stars on that show was Jeffrey Lewis, who you may remember as one of Clint Eastwood's sidekicks in an awful lot of his 1970s and early 1980s movies. Now, the show itself only ran about 29 episodes over a couple of seasons, but I think it's probably the most memorable for Hoyt's theme song, which brings us around to that Flo's Yellow Rose. Yellow Rowdy redhead heading for the big time Looking like a Texas sequin star Making eyes at every tight jean cowboy Sassing good old boys around the bar Flows yellow road Flashing neon every trucker knows the door is always open and the beer's always full. It flows, yellow road. Foreign booze are flirting with a stranger. There ain't no problem she don't understand. Nice and easy, she's my kind of woman. She knows how to treat a working man. Flows. 
flashing neon every trucker knows the door is always open and the beer is always cold it flows yellow rose well you know the first time i ever fell into the yellow rose i saw that lady with the flaming red hair I said, now that's a woman. Seemed to me she was having some kind of trouble with a fella behind the bar. I think his name was Earl. He was the bartender. Well, I want to tell you that lady, she took one big breath and boy, she squared off and she said, Earl? I mean, she said, Earl. She said it real good. Well, anyway, she stepped right back. She said, Earl, honey, I got something to say to you. And he said, what is it, Flo? And she said, kiss my grits. Drag my weary body to her table With a smile she orders up a round She's ready, willing, and you know she's able To help you when your troubles get you down Flows, yellow road Flashing neon, every trucker knows The door is always open and the beer is always cold it flows, yellow rose Flows, yellow rose Flashing neon, every trucker knows The door is always open and the beer is always cold It flows, yellow rose Flows, yellow rose Speaking of yellow roses, Happy birthday to Mrs. Prairie Justice, who on this day, as I'm recording this, has had her birthday. So, on to my notes and such for this colorful vigilante episode with our third engagement with the Rainbow Man. First up, I'm going to talk about art. And uh, we've got Morton Meskin, so I don't have a lot to complain about. Um... Other than I have have said before that uh, I think Meskin has a lot of constraints here um, with this book. He started out at 13 pages and now we're, we're at 12 pages and a splash, which only gives him 11 pages. So I think he's doing his best to try to tell a 12-page story in that time. Um, he's got his usual angles, but we don't have a lot that's really spectacular. Uh, with Meskin's turnout this time, um, he on our he's not doing the nine-page grid, so thankful for that. So he is breaking up the grids pretty good, but um, the occasional circle panel, that sort of thing. But uh, it's just that I guess with the word balloons and um, with the uh, narration uh, p panels and such. It's really hard for Meskin to shine. When I get over to about page 8, when it shows Vigilante and stuff over the hot cauldron, uh, that's pretty good. I have to say that uh, this is where Meskin really likes to talk about his camera angles and such that he supposedly was influenced by with the movie Citizen Kane, the Orson Welles direction and such. Um, now, what I do have to say, we've got a different anchor this time, and I don't think that that's the problem. But my gosh, this book is muddy. 
Um, this story is muddy, rather. Uh, the darks are really dark, and the shades are just plain black. And I don't know whether it's the coloring or whether it's the printing process as, as to how this... Uh, these pages are shot, but my gosh, um, it's really, really dark. And I don't mean dark in story. I mean, it's like somebody forgot to turn the lights on. Uh, and it's really accented by the heavy word balloons, or the, the multiple word balloons, as uh, rather. Whereas the white really sets off the dark. So you really have to go in and, and, and zero in if you're reading this on, a, uh, on an iPad, as I am. Uh, to write, really kind of see what's going on at times. So that's the the, the down aspect. Other than that, uh, Meskin's really, really thumbnailing it here, and I don't think that colorization or printing process is helping it. Okay, to start with on the splash panel, this is our usual splash that we've come to expect, especially when we see the Rainbow Man. We've got three large images of the Rainbow Man looking down, and he's puffing on a cigarette. And for some reason, we have a wizard thing going on over top of a uh, some sort of a ceremonial brass cauldron. It almost looks Buddhist and and vision stuff are breaking in and busting heads as far as the mobsters. And I don't know what this wizard thing has to do with it. None of this it really appears. Within the book, it's just, I guess, some symbolism that I'm not grasping. Uh, we start with the prison break, and again, very, very murky. But uh, it's very interesting that we're uh, moving the Rainbow Man to Shark Island because they've caught him signaling, making signals, and we know that he's cunning. We know he, we know he knows how to get the message out to his confederates. And uh, they're not wrong because uh, when they do affect the uh, transfer out to an island prison, which is, think of an Alcatraz or Rikers Island sort of a place, to this uh, Shark Island uh, prison, and, of course, they are nabbed by uh, Rainbow Man's gang, who consists, of course, of Dictionary, who we've met before. But we also have Shakespeare. And Shakespeare has been in our, uh, in our Vigilante series in Action 48. And he was a henchman of the uh, Lash. He was not a Rainbow Man. Uh, they're, they're actually just calling him Shakes in here, but he's got the same costume and the same bad poetry. Uh, Rainbow Man doesn't have a lot of love for too many people to get in his way. Uh, the prison guards are pretty much left to the sharks. They're told to swim to the boys, uh, but I doubt that they did. I'm pretty sure that they were probably drowned in the ocean there where they were left or, or of hypothermia. Uh, we have the old color wheel again. And this is as good a time as any to talk about how we are, we have a definite formula going on. So whether Martin Weisinger's here or not, uh, Meskin has definitely picked up a story formula. Uh, we begin with uh, meeting our henchman, 
or meeting our main villain. The main villain uh, introduces us in one way or another to a henchman while we're uh, seeing his initial crime. It's usually Stuff who finds out about the crime, either through the newspaper or by eyewitness. In this case, it's both. He uh, learns of the Rainbow Man's apparent escape and uh, drown, supposed drowning, as far as the media is concerned, while he sees the henchman uh, breaking into his neighborhood and pulling off some other kind of a uh, color-related crime. One thing I wanted to talk to here about is we're introduced to another new henchman by the name of Jellybean Jones. And, of course, we have the dictionary and Shakespeare. Shakespeare we have met in Action 48 as a, as a goon uh, working for the Lash in that excellent story. So I do have to say that the Mort Mortons are at least recycling their characters. Uh, Jellybean Jones appears to be new. I thought maybe he had uh, appeared in some other... Uh, vigilante story but I went back and I couldn't find him so I think he's an introduction spoilers don't get too attached to him however if the name Jellybean Jones means something to you well let's just wait till the end of the story you have probably heard of it if you're a longtime comics fan uh, by the way, on Jellybean, as far as his uh, modus operandi, he just eats a lot of candy. And uh, just think Otis from Superman 78. As part of the formula, of course, stuff interferes with the first crime. Which leads him to go see... The Vigilante, at least we're not tracking him down through the radio station anymore now that Stuff knows his uh, secret identity. Now, what is Stuff wearing? I, uh, I should have been trying to make this a uh, regular feature as I think of it. Stuff is wearing green, white walking shorts. He's wearing a red and black striped shirt with very tight stripes. And he's got a hat in this one. I want to say it's sort of a sailor's uh, sort of a cap. Although at times, Meskin is drawing it as a sort of a Chinese uh, brimless hat as well. So, uh, And it's red. It's not like a white sailor's cap. Although I guess you could make a sailor's cap in just about any any color you wanted. But at least he has his two fists, and uh, of course he uh, gets whacked on the head with a Buddha, a statue of the Buddha. I don't know if uh, Stuff himself is a Buddhist, but that's a slight irony. Uh, Vig and Stuff get together as uh, Vigilante is informed of these crimes. They take off on the motorcycle together. And the motorbike is definitely a part of Vigilante's uh, accoutrement of weapons now. And at least he's not stealing the gas-eating bronc. And he doesn't use that, uh, that phrase in this one, which kind of annoys me a little bit. I like saying gas-eating bronc. 
and uh, we tangle. Oh, before we start the, the tangling, let's just talk about what Vidge is wearing. He's got the brown hat in the splash page and white pants. And it's a little bit inconsistent because through most of the story, he's wearing the tan hat and the faded light blue denim pants. And in one panel, we've even got a, uh, a miscoloring here where one side of his pants is, is blue on the right side of his motorcycle and white on the left side. So uh, definitely the colorist is in the printing process is sleeping on the job in this story. So, And we have our first tangle with the gang. And as we know our formula, this is where we're always going to get captured. And we have a new interesting death trap. It's sort of a pit in the pendulum kind of a thing. Uh, they're hooked up to a set of clockworks and a rope that's going to go ever down as the clock ticks into a vat of black gooey tar. And this is one of those situations here where you don't know if these old 40 stories age well. Well, uh, the Rainbow Man uh, makes a phrase that uh, if the uh, Vigian stuff are soon going to look like tar babies. Not a great phrase to be using these days, but I suppose it was around in the 40s quite a bit. But let's forget, Rainbow Man's an ass. And of course, uh, as villains, what we have to do is go off to commit our next crime and never uh, kill these people, just leave them to a death trap and leave it to hang. And by gosh, never take vigilante spurs off. You think of all people, Rainbow Man, this is your third occasion. Remove the spurs. Didn't remove the gun belt either. Well, I suppose if we look in Vidge's pockets, we'll probably also find a pen knife, a branding iron, and an atomic bomb. So as our heroes are left to dangle over their dark fate, Rainbow Man and the three henchmen uh, hijack a delivery truck, steal their unif green uniforms, of course, and pay a visit to the home of Esmeralda Green, the actress, who is having a party that night. And let's face it, we know that uh, Rainbow Man intends to rob this party. Thankfully, it's not a costume party. Jeez, I guess the Mortons haven't read the rules of parties in Golden Age comics. It has to be a costume party. Oh, well. Let's return now to our death trap, where the vigilante has used his, wait for it, Dave McIlvaney, his spurs. And he has used the spurs to dig into the sandbags that are acting as the counterweight that is keeping the, the uh, Vigian stuff from going into, falling into the vat too, fall, too soon. And as stuff, of course, observes, you know, as that sand runs out, we're going to fall faster. And that's exactly what Vidge is counting on it because he's going to use that time to swing more and try to get his... Uh, spur-lined feet planted on the edge of the cauldron as opposed to falling into the middle of it 
and then they can jump to the floor. Well, supposedly they get out of the bonds after that little bit of a concussion, and they climb to the top of a radio tower. Vidge, of course, has his lariat because, of course, the Rainbow Man didn't take his lariat away. And for the second uh, time in a, a second story in a row, Vigilante ropes a steeple and uses it to swing over to, you guessed it, Esmeralda Green's party. Because he has noticed that uh, the Rainbow Man is using pink and green lights to identify the pigeons that uh, Jelly Bean Jones is supposed to pick and steal the large bauble that is supposedly headed towards this party. Well, Jelly Bean gets it wrong and mugs the wrong couple, to which uh, the Rainbow Man is very consternated, and Jelly, why didn't you uh, move at the pink light instead of the green light? And Jelly Bean, at this point in time, goes, gee, didn't I tell you that I was colorblind? No, Jelly Bean, you did not. You did not tell the Rainbow Man, and uh, nobody told this audience. So that's kind of a uh, came out of nowhere. Good storytelling. Uh, you would have heard Jelly Bean talk about that, and there would have been a way to talk about that uh, colorblindness earlier on. But don't worry about Jelly Bean's fate, because he's never going to do it again, because the Rainbow Man plugs him and murders him. Goodbye, Jelly Bean. It was nice knowing you. And by now, Stuff and Vigilante are in. And uh, Vigilante never takes his guns off. Again, we have another story where this uh, wonderful marksman never removes his sex guns. Instead, he uses a few potted plants to take out the Rainbow Man. As Stuff uh, blinds him, with, his, with uh, Rainbow Man's own searchlight, his own colored searchlight. After which, uh, the, uh, the, three, the three remaining gangsters are rounded up. Esmeralda invites Vigilante and Stuff into the party, to which they refuse. And Stuff says, no, I got to get back and take care of Chinatown. Well, <laughs> I do appreciate Stuff. He uh, definitely has his eye on duty at all times. I think he makes a great sidekick. Now, what about Jellybee Jones? Yes, what about her? And I say her because there is indeed a comics character in continuity by that name. And I haven't read an Archie comic probably since sometime in the 1970s. So I certainly didn't know that in the 1990s, um, apparently Jughead Jones's mother became unexpectedly pregnant. And Jughead ended up with a sister by the name of Forsythia, who, like her, old, her older brother, dislikes the name in any form and continues the family tradition of naming herself Jellybean. 
So that is a real character in Archie Comics. And uh, so perhaps the, uh, the Jones family is related. If you really want to go into continuity, perhaps the old Jughead Jones family is related to this jelly bean eating uh, goon of the Rainbow Man. Now, this wasn't a remarkable story. Um, it just gives us another chance to meet uh, the Rainbow Man again, and we prove that he is no smarter or any brighter or any more colorful than he has been in the past. So, let's head on over to the mailbag. And, of course, we have one from the Pennsylvania Postcard Prince himself, Mr. Dave McElvaney, who wrote into VigilCast at gmail.com regarding our, uh, not our last podcast, but the next-to-last podcast. And, uh, greetings, Ranger Gord. Wow, that issue of All-Star Squadron brought in a huge group of heroes, around 60 or so by my rough count. And Dave's a mathematician. He wouldn't rough count. Can you imagine reading this one as your first issue with no idea who those folks were or the different Earths that were involved? That would be daunting. And yeah, you're probably right on that, Dave. And I have to say, at that point in time, I knew them all. Uh, I had a, maybe a little less distinction with some of the lesser-known quality comics characters, but I had no problem with any of the... Uh, DC characters at that point in time in that gathering. Yeah. It was just very, uh, I, I was, of course, I can always remember that Vigilante did, stuck, did stick out with that simple loaded for bear, ma'am. But that podcast was actually about uh, Action uh, 52. 52! Uh, Sing a Song of Six Guns was a fun story. Poor Greg Saunders, losing his radio program due to the declining popularity of country and western music in favor of swing and probably big band music. Popularity is king in popular entertainment. It was interesting that Greg seemed mostly concerned with people perhaps losing contact with Vigilante through him if he weren't on the air regular, regularly. You commented that most comic book heroes try to have some separation between their everyday identities and their hero identities, but he seems to be emphasizing that connection. It reminded me of the old George Reeves' Adventures of Superman TV series, where it was common knowledge that Clark Kent was the guy who could always contact Superman. It was good to see Greg finally bring stuff into confidence, making him more a partner in his crime fighting. Stuff is tough and brave and deserves that consideration. I agree. And it also, uh, as we see in uh, today's podcast, uh, it, it generally t takes a lot of uh, complications out of uh, stuff getting a hold of Vigilante as well. And I'm glad that Vigilante was wearing his wondrous spurs, only for you, Dave, but also glad that he didn't really need them to escape any death traps or scale sheer heights. If he uses them too often, word might get thrown through the criminal grapevine to remove his spurs whenever crooks are lucky enough to capture him. Then where would he be? Ah, hasn't happened yet, Dave. 
Also, I noted with pleasure that Vidge was pretty angry that the crooks had kidnapped those kids. Nothing should anger a hero more than kids in danger. The ending, too, was fun with the musical fusion of Greg Saunders' country and western music with the boys' hep swing music. Bob Wills and the Texas Playboys version of San Antonio Rose was an excellent musical choice for the number. Thanks, Dave. I guess this means that Greg might have a slightly different format for his radio show going forward, with guest musicians who perform in other styles just to remain fresh and current. And as I was just uh, reading that, I was thinking of the old Johnny Cash show, where uh, if you were watching that in the 1970s, either on his regular show or on his uh, summer series, uh, Johnny didn't always stick to country music uh, guests. He often had folk singers such as Bob Dylan and Joni Mitchell, and current pop singers such as Linda Ronstadt on that show as well. So I'd like to think that Greg Saunders was a uh, an elder day version of Johnny. And to continue, or complete Dave's uh, letter rather, as always, thanks for a fun and well done radio drama. I really enjoy that, although it's more work for you than just a straight-up synopsis or even a page-by-page reading without the different voices, sound effects, and backgrounds, and diegetic music, you do an excellent job of all of these things. Thank you, Dave. I really appreciate your uh, your appreciation of my efforts. Looking forward to your next episode. Live long and prosper, Dave. And uh, I hope you enjoy this episode. And I don't even want to look at the date of this because I think it was in April sometime. And Dave did have uh, some kind words for my my brief July mini update as well. So thank you very much, Dave. So that's going to do it for this episode of Prairie Justice. Uh, Next episode, uh, hopefully, won't be so long. We're actually going to take a break and go back to All-Star Squadron for another Vigilante appearance in our uh, retroactive continuity chronology, as it were, and the first appearance of... Oh, oh, wait a minute. That would be telling. We'll see you next time. Adios, partners. In the corner of a dark bar room Said a low cowboy singing western tunes Singing songs that he learned as a child All about the west back when it was wild well, So long partners, you've been listening to Prairie Justice, the Greg Saunders Vigilante Podcast All materials used in Prairie Justice are believed to be of fair use and remain the copyright of all copyright holders. Stories, images, and the character of Greg Saunders, the Vigilante, and all other characters used are the property of DC Comics and DC Entertainment. Feedback for Prairie Justice can be left on Facebook under the name Prairie Justice, the Greg Saunders Vigilante Podcast. Email can go to vigilantecast at gmail.com. Website is www.rangergordsroundup, all one word, at dotwordpress.com. 
and we sure hope to see you all back again for another ride with the Cowboy Crusader. Vaya con Dios, compadres, eh? Cause he's the last of the singing cowboy.